Welcome to the fifth live session of the Digital Spring School Brain, Lifestyle and Learning. My name still is Renate de Groot and we continue today our live session uh, with the third topic, namely sleep, cognition and behavior. This initiative is financially supported by the national initiative Brain and Cognition under auspices of NWO. Um, as I said, today we start with the first live session in the topic sleep and Professor Dr. Jan Born will introduce us to this new topic within the Digital Spring School. Uh, Jan Born is a full professor at the University of Tübingen and he was the first researcher who found a causal relationship between sleep and memory formation. For his pioneering work, he received in 2010 the Leibniz Prize. Jan, very welcome Hello. to our digital mm -hmm. uh, spring school. Could you please tell us a bit more about yourself? Well, I think there's not much to add. Uh, my name is Jan Born, as you said, and uh, I'm originally trained uh, a psychologist and uh, later on moved into neuroscience and I'm now a professor for neuroscience at the University of Tübingen. I most recently moved from Lübeck, the north of Germany, to Tübingen, which is a kind of uh, center for neuroscience research in Germany. Okay, great. Well, it's great to have you here mm -hmm. uh, today. Um, we started our learning activities already uh, last Saturday and I asked all the attendants of, uh, of this spring school to react on a statement and it would be great if we also could get your reaction. And the statement was, students are not able to think and reason when they are sleepy. How do you think about that? Uh, this is probably fairly true. Uh, this question actually refers to, to uh, a related uh, function of sleep, a related memory function of sleep. We think that sleep is good for memory, for building up memory, but also sleep is, uh, has a second function in a way that it prepares the network for uh, taking up uh, new information. So after sleep, after uh, well resting sleep, you obviously are in a better condition to learn new information. Okay, now I sure we will hear much more about it uh, today. Um, what are we going to do today? What are we going to talk about? I would like to convince you of our, um, yeah, of our uh, main hypothesis that, that uh, uh, I think the major function, I think actually the most important uh, function of sleep is to form memories, to consolidate memories for the long term. I think sleep has uh, many functions, but uh, this function is uh, the most important uh, because this memory function eventually helps to establish what we uh, consider consciousness during wakefulness. In fact, any, any uh, consciousness, any conscious recognition requires that incoming cessations, perceptions are in a way referenced linked with pre-existing memories in the brain and of course when we know when we can show that these memories are formed during sleep which is a state where you lose consciousness and this is of course a very interesting phenomenon definitely so that's actually the theoretical background you mm. will give us um. i think we start with uh, the uh, theoretical background and then i would like to introduce you into a kind of uh, overarching model that we developed from the uh, present state of the art mm -hmm. and in the end we will go into some uh, applications in future directions of our okay. research. Well, that sounds very good. I do have some additional information uh, for the people at uh, home. Uh, you just heard we will talk about uh, three topics now. We have a block concerning the theoretical background, we have a block about the current state of art and we have a block about uh, the implications. During uh, our interview, you can, of course, uh, ask questions through the chat. And after 50 minutes of our talk, I will forward your questions to uh, Jan Born. Um, the first topic we should uh, discuss is the theoretical uh, background, uh, of course. So please tell us how does sleep influence memory formation? Yeah, before, I think in, in the very beginning, I, I should clarify this uh, for those um, 
who are not so familiar with the, with the psychology of memory, I should uh, uh, clarify based on this very first slide, some very, very basic terms are related to the concept of, uh, to the psychological concept of memory. Uh, memory, memory functions must be subdivided into three fundamentally different uh, uh, sub-processes. There's first here the learning or acquisition, which refers to the, to the uptake, we call it the encoding of the information to be stored into a neural network, into a, although preliminary, neural uh, representation, the first traces formed. And then thereafter, there is a retention or consolidation, which refers to some kind of strengthening of the newly encoded memory representation, which is thought to be at least initially rather fragile and prone to decay, prone to forgetting, unless this representation is uh, consolidated. And this consolidation also refers to, and this is not unimportant, to some kind of integrating the new memory information into the network of pre-existing long-term memories without overwriting these pre-existing long-term memories. And then thirdly, you see it here, there's a recall or retrieval of the stored information. Now, and this is important. Learning and recall, these are processes that take place mainly and most effectively in the waking brain, in the wake mode of uh, brain activity. By contrast, and this is our hypothesis, by contrast, the consolidation of memories is a process that takes place mainly and most effectively during sleep. Accordingly, our research, we focus on these consolidation processes, that is, on the effects of sleep, mm -hmm. on the consolidation, on the long-term consolidation of memories during sleep. So then there's, in this context, a very central uh, theoretical question, uh, which I want to uh, outline here with this uh, slide, the question, why? that the consolidation of such long-term memories have to take place during sleep when the brain is obviously in a kind of offline mode of processing and receives no or just very diminished uh, external stimulus inputs. And this is so according to our hypothesis because uh, the consolidation of long-term memories in the brain relies on what we call uh, processes of system consolidation. System consolidation, these are processes that involve the reactivation of the newly encoded memory representations in the brain and originating from that a kind of reorganization, a transformation of these memories. It is in fact the case that not every, uh, every event or every aspect of an event that the brain experiences in the wake period needs to be stored for the long term. And such processes of system consolidation in a, a two-stage memory system, which is kind of standard uh, memory system, as roughly outlined here on the, on the right side. I don't have the pointer. Here it is, which, comp sorry, which comprises a temporary store here and a long-term store. Such uh, system consolidation uh, processes allow for the extraction of relevant aspects, for the extraction of invariant aspects, or the gist of a newly encoded memory experience, and for the selective transfer of this gist of a newly encoded memory here from this temporary store to the long-term store. And of course, such very active processes of system consolidation reactivating memories, selecting memories, and transferring them to the long-term store would, of course, interfere with the brain's normal processing of external stimulus inputs if they occurred during wakefulness. If this had happened, and I, I, let me just finish, if this happened, uh, I think there is some evidence, clinical evidence even for that, during wakefulness, a person would, in fact, start to hallucinate and not being able to yeah. discriminate between reactivated memories and acute external stimulus inputs. Does this process happen in all stages of sleep? No. This is 
very uh, important uh, uh, question you ask, and uh, and uh, uh, a lot of our research was aimed to actually answer uh, this question. We now know that this consolidation of memory, first, does not pertain to all kinds of memories. And we know that it is done, the consolidation process, occurs mainly in certain stages, namely in the slow wave stage of sleep. This is actually what I want to show you in the next, uh, the next slide here. We know, as uh, I uh, said, we know sleep does not non-selectively enhance any kind of experience, any kind of memory encoded in the wake phase, but that sleep preferentially supports the consolidation of so-called hippocampus-dependent declarative memories. Declarative memories in human terms refer to so-called memories for facts and episodes. For example, that I'm able to remember that I uh, met a close friend uh, last year, shortly before Christmas, in a restaurant in, uh, in Berlin, uh, to be able to remember an episode of what happened, where and when. What in a certain spatial temporal uh, uh, context. That is episodic memory. And this episodic memory is conscious. It's an explicit memory that is consciously encoded and also with conscious retreat, explicitly uh, retrieved. And these types of memories depend on one structure in the brain, which is in the depth of the temporal lobe, which is called the hippocampus. And all these memories, since they are involving the hippocampus, are called hippocampus-dependent uh, memories. Now, we uh, know from our research that sleep, in fact, preferentially enhances memories that are consciously encoded that are hippocampus dependent. We can show this even in rats, uh, where it is not clear whether they have a consciousness or not. But we see also you know, in rats, sleep benefits episodic-like memories to a greater extent than memories which do not involve the hippocampal system. Maybe you should uh, shortly explain which stages of sleep there are, because I don't yes. know whether all attendants Yes, do this know is how the, it works. the second part of your question is, uh, is there a special sleep stage which is more important for this consolidation process than others? And it is, as I said already, it's not, uh, uh, as many people may think, influenced by Freudian theory, interpretation of dreams. They think REM sleep or dream sleep is the important factor in consolidating memories, but it's not the case. It is the other core sleep stage. It is slow wave sleep. And here in this uh, second slide, I have here, um, I have here a, a nocturnal sleep profile from a actually from a young, healthy man that illustrates a normal uh, sleep, how it is uh, going on during a night. And uh, you can see here that sleep in, human, uh, in humans consists of the cyclic occurrence of non-REM, so-called non-REM sleep stages, one, two, three, and four, with the non-REM sleep stages three and four representing the deepest form of non-REM sleep, uh, which is called slow-wave sleep due to the very slow oscillations that you see in the EEG during this period, during this stage of sleep. And sleep consists of intermittent uh, periods of um, REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep, or dream sleep that are the um, the yeah, black, black bars, bars here that you yeah. see in the profile. Unfortunately, the pointer doesn't work here in this presentation. And now what is important here if, if, uh, to explain our research is um, that uh, nocturnal sleep in humans uh, can be uh, roughly divided in two parts, uh, basically due to the underlying circadian rhythm and also due to a kind of homeostatic regulation of uh, slow wave sleep. 
there is a first part, first half of nocturnal sleep, which is dominated by uh, slow wave sleep, non-REM sleep stage um, uh, three and four, whereas the other core sleep stage, REM sleep, occurs only in very minimal amounts. Often this very first uh, REM sleep uh, period is very difficult to detect because it's so short. And then there's a late second part of nocturnal sleep, here on the light in yellow, um, where REM sleep becomes more intense, extensive, and predominant, whereas here, the other core sleep stage, in this case, slow wave sleep, occurs only in minor amounts, mostly in the somewhat lighter form of non-REM sleep stage three. Now, to answer your question, which really had been around for decades, yeah, whether REM sleep or slow wave sleep is more important for this consolidation process. In a very uh, extended series of studies, we basically compared the consolidation, the retention of memories between uh, two conditions termed here in this uh, 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 slide, early sleep condition and late sleep condition. The early sleep condition where the retention interval between learning here, learning and recall testing covered a three to four hour period of early slow wave sleep, rich period of sleep with only minor amounts of REM sleep here. And the late sleep condition where the retention interval between learning and recall testing covered a three hour period of late REM sleep, rich sleep with only minor amounts of slow wave sleep. And as an example here, um, this uh, study done in humans by comparing such early and late retention sleep intervals shows that it is, in fact, slow wave sleep, which is important for the consolidation of such hippocampus-dependent memories, in this case, vocabulary, word pairs, word pairs, vocabulary that uh, the students learned uh, before these periods of sleep, which were, as shown here, now it's lost again here, by this bar, uh, which were much better, significantly better remembered after a period of slow wave sleep, rich early sleep, than here after a period of REM sleep, rich late sleep, whereas, and this is important, <coughs> Aspects in such episodic or declarative memories which do not immediately involve the hippocampus, and these are amygdala-dependent emotional aspects in a memory or procedural skill aspects in an episodic memory. Here in this case, we tested for mirror tracing skills, procedural skills. These aspects in an episodic or declarative memory which are not immediately depending on the hippocampus, these may additionally benefit, that is indicated by this bar here, these may additionally benefit from late REM sleep bridge sleep. Okay, I think that's very clear and the mm. first questions are uh, already uh, coming in. Uh, Hanneke Noordam is uh, asking, in your article you mentioned the different functions of uh, REM and uh, S WS sleep related to consolidation of learned information. Uh, it is a rather complex mechanism. Could you give an example of how both phases of sleep would enable me to remember the information I learned for an exam that I have the next day? Both parts. I hope. Uh, uh, I think this is a very good question of because it, it, it directly connects to what I, 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 I uh, tried to explain here with this uh, last slide, uh, slow wave sleep is more for the neutral declarative types of memories. All these memories that you really actively learned for an, an exam are typically, uh, typically declarative types of memories and these benefit from slow wave sleep. So when these declarative memories have some kind of emotional uh, emotionality, some kind of emotional effect, perhaps. Uh, yeah, they are 
kind of uh, pleasure, then of course this emotional uh, effect would additionally benefit from REM sleep. This is in fact enhanced, this aspect, this emotional aspect in the memory, this is enhanced um, uh, uh, by REM sleep. That's at least what we see in our experiments that is soon as you go into not really neutral types of memories but into emotional memories and the emotionality of uh, a memory becomes enhanced when sleep contains a lot of REM sleep. Yeah, and then we actually also come into a more other question like does sleep only influence memory function or other cognitive domains as well? Okay, this is uh, I think a very uh, uh, justified question. Uh, of course from our approach, we see that uh, the, uh, the effect, for example, on emotions, the effect of REM sleep on emotions is a kind of secondary effect in as much as it is mediated by uh, the processing of memory representations during sleep. So uh, uh, the change in emotion which we see, for example, after REM sleep deprivation is in fact, in my uh, uh, view, a consequence of that when you disrupt REM sleep, uh, you disrupt emotional memory processing during this period of sleep. So I think, yes, you're right. We have, of course, strong effects of, um, of uh, sleep, for example, on emotions, on emotional processing. But this is, in my view, mediated via uh, the effect sleep has on the processing of emotional memory representations. Okay, that's clear. I think people are really dying for information with which they can do something themselves. Uh, Liederbij Schipper is asking what is more effective for memory consolidation? A long sleep once in 24 hours or more than one shorter sleep sessions? Uh, yeah, this is a difficult to answer. I think it's both not really correct. Or it's, I think what is important is that you have a kind of consolidated uh, longer sleep period during the night. A kind of sleep that is synchronized in the correct way to the circadian rhythm. So uh, for example, sleep, eight hour sleep during the night is better than an asynchronous sleep uh, for example, shift work requires that you shift your sleep during daytime, but it, this is of course not that uh, good quality sleep also with regard to the memory function of sleep as a nocturnal sleep. So uh, I think it's uh, not the duration per se is what matters, but that the sleep period is of course uh, uh, nested and synchronized in a, in a right way to the circadian uh, rhythm and then of course a, a minimum length is also required. I, we, there's a lot of evidence showing that if you cut your, uh, uh, habitually cut your uh, uh, sleep period to uh, lower amounts, less than six hours uh, uh, per day, then this will definitely affect your cognitive functioning, your memory, your capacity to form new memories, and of course also your capacity to take up new information on during the wake phase. Although I do see that there are still quite some questions in the chat, uh, I think we should move forward to the second block, namely the current state of art. So what kind of studies are currently going on in your lab? Uh, maybe I should add to, to, to the last block uh, uh, one important aspect, uh, the aspect that uh, indeed we also know, uh, we know three things. We know first that hippocampus-dependent declarative memories, uh, uh, memories are preferentially consolidated during sleep. We know secondly that this happens during slow-wave sleep. And thirdly, we know that the consolidation process during sleep originates from a kind of replay, reactivation of the newly encoded memory representations in the hippocampus during slow wave sleep. These are, I think, the bi three big factors which we know about uh, the uh, memory consolidation process that takes during sleep. And I have I skipped this uh, 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 slide here, and we have uh, taken all this 
evidence that is uh, now available about uh, uh, the consolidation process during sleep to outline here a kind of reactivation model of uh, hippocampus-dependent memory consolidation occurring during sleep. Uh, I'd like to briefly go into this uh, model. And uh, even if you now don't understand every detail, I hope you will understand the message uh, of this model and, and get a, a, a better impression of how this consolidation process uh, during sleep works. According to this model, the information to be stored at learning during the wake phase is encoded twofold. Once in the neocortex, here at the upper region here. Oh, whoa, whoa. Here it is. Once in the neocortex, but simultaneously, this information during wakefulness is encoded in a more or less restricted fashion, probably most likely just the relational aspects of an episode. Simultaneously, this uh, information is encoded into uh, hippocampal networks, shown here. This is hippocampus. Now, during subsequent periods of sleep, and here during periods of slow wave sleep, and here driven by these uh, EEG slow oscillations I mentioned already, that hallmark uh, these, uh, uh, the EEG during sleep, driven by these slow oscillations during slow wave sleep, reactivations of the newly encoded uh, materials occur here in the hippocampus, where these informations are stored only temporarily. The, the hippocampus is, in fact, serving as a temporary store in this two-stage memory system. Now, these reactivations, which are accompanied by so-called sharp wave ripples, as shown here, sharp wave ripples in the hippocampal EG, these reactivations, and this is what happens, sorry, this happens during um, slow wave sleep, that is this red arrow here. These reactivations stimulate a transfer of the reactivated memory information from the hippocampus back to the neocortex, a transfer which, at least initially, is associated with what we call thalamocortical spindle activity. This spindle activity refers to the regular 12 to, health, 12 to 15 hertz uh, oscillatory activity, which is also nicely seen in the human sleep EEG during, during slow wave sleep, but also during uh, lighter non-REM sleep stage too. Now, these uh, the spindle activity, especially if it occurs here during the so-called upstate, during the depressing phase of these slow oscillations, this spindle activity is associated with massive calcium influxes into these neocortical pyramidal cells. Calcium influxes that via the activation of corresponding calcium-sensitive kinases can now trigger plastic synaptic changes that eventually mediate the long-term storage of the hippocampal memory information in these neocortical networks. And neocortex obviously serving as a long-term store in this two-stage memory system. Now, our current research, and not only ours, but also in other labs, research is going on which aims mainly to test this model. Okay, that's clear. Um, there are again a lot of questions coming in. Uh, Liedewij Schipper, uh, children need more sleep than adults. Is this directly related to a higher need to consolidate information in children compared to adults? Yes, very short uh, answer, yes. It's uh, our opinion that, of course, since children, infants, yeah, are in a need to acquire a lot of information and to store this for the long term, they are, of course, also in need of more sleep. And they show more sleep yeah. and deeper sleep also. Yeah. Um, 
but there are also a lot of age effects. Eh? For example, I also read some articles, and I believe they were from Ashtill, uh, mm. that um, memory function in children is not influenced by sleep. No, but this is not really uh, uh, correct. Um, the, the I think the um, the important uh, uh, maybe I should really emphasize this here at this uh, 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 moment. The the important thing is that um, this memory consolidation process that takes place during sleep is not just uh, for stabilizing a memory as it is, but it's in fact a transfer process, a transfer where some, not all, some gist memory stored just temporarily in the hippocampal networks is transferred to the long-term store, which is the neocortex in this model. This transfer implicates a reorganization, a transformation of the representation. And in this way, the memory qualitatively uh, changes. We have done some uh, uh, studies showing that, in fact, uh, this reorganization of a memory can lead to a kind of insight, understanding uh, that, for example, in these experiments, uh, participants, also children, but also adults, uh, try to solve a problem, a problem with a kind of underlying uh, unknown structure. They cannot solve it before sleep, but then they, sol then they sleep on the problem. And the next day, they are retested. And all of a sudden, they have the insight into the underlying regularities, into the underlying invariance, and they can solve the problem. This kind of uh, evidence, experimental evidence, shows at the behavioral level, at the purely behavioral level, in fact, proves that memory consolidation during sleep is not just a passive strengthening of the representation, but obviously it's an active process yeah. that leads to a reorganization of the representation. And in this way, sleep can indeed also uh, induce some kind of uh, inside processes. Yeah. Yeah. This also raises the question with me that what's better, uh, studying, stay up late and studying and then go to bed, or if you have an exam the day, uh, next day, go to bed early, stay up uh, early and study again? And I think on the long run, of course, uh, the, the better uh, the better way to do is, is first to study and may not to complete studying with solving the problem, but just on halfway go to bed, sleep on it, and then you will see to get to the solution is much more easier the next day after you had slept. I, sh I should add, because this refers to your first question, uh, uh, what about children? Do they have this kind of memory consolidation? Yeah. We compared in a recent study uh, children and adults, children at around 10 years of age with adults, with their parents actually, uh, on such kind of a problem yeah, uh, where, the, where the, uh, the participants, the children and the adults, should in a way detect an underlying sequence and a regular sequence they had to press and they were asked in the end of the experiment, did you see the regularity? Did you see the grammar in, this, in the sequence you should tab on a, on a uh, button box? And we found that, uh, of course, the children had a much deeper sleep, much more slow sleep. REM sleep proportion was uh, more or less equivalent with that seen in adults. Um, but the proportion of slow sleep in these 10-year-old children is much higher than the adults, and of course, also these slow oscillations that drive the consolidation process during sleep is much uh, uh, more pronounced in the children. And together with these uh, high proportions of slow wave sleep, with these very uh, uh, strong slow oscillation rhythms, you find in children a much greater uh, capability to gain an understanding, to gain an insight into uh, these uh, hidden regularities yeah. in uh, these experiments through sleep, through their sleep, than in adults. So, in fact, the children 
need their sleep to gain an explicit understanding of the complexity of the world. Yeah, yeah. And a nice question from Linda Luchtman, which is in close connection to this, is uh, I heard that the idle uh, learning session contains one, learning, two, review just before sleep, three, sleep, and four, review just after waking up. Is this true? The review uh, just after waking up is, I think, for evaluating uh, the, <laughs> the very effe effective procedure she suggests. Yeah. I think this is uh, uh, very good to, to learn, to take up information uh, in the morning when the brain is, in, 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 a, in a way, most alert and uh, attentive. Uh, so encoding is uh, done optimally uh, in the morning. Uh, of course, when you want to exploit the capacities of sleep to form memories, then it's good to repeat what you learned in the morning, in the late afternoon, or early evening, not too close to sleep, because you shouldn't activate yourself before going to sleep. But then, this information has a higher chance to enter this uh, uh, sleep-dependent conservation process. And you, of course, have a maximal gain uh, induced by slow-wave sleep. Okay. I have two questions which I still want to ask you, but you have to give a rather short uh, answer. Uh, Leonie Uitewilge is asking, elderly people also sleep less than mid-age adults, and most often their memory becomes poorer. Is this also related to each other? Yes, yes. Um, of course, uh, uh, this is well investigated. The, the, uh, the, the, the decline in slow-wave sleep uh, uh, starts already around the age of 40. Yeah? So uh, you see that, let's say, mid middle-aged uh, people around 50, they have a lot less slow-wave sleep than 20 years old, yeah? And we have done such studies, and we see that uh, with this decline in slow-wave sleep, we see in these middle-aged uh, uh, people, there is a one-to-one -one association with a decline in the capability of these somewhat older uh, people to form new memories, yeah? Of course, you have to. You have to take... Could this test then be used as a predictor for Alzheimer's disease later on? I don't know. Um, you, you have to uh, consider that uh, elder people, of course, have a lot more schema. We call it schema in their long-term memories, knowledge pre-existing long-term knowledge that can adapt more easily the newly learned material. So when you go into material that is not completely new, but in any way the, the elder people have more experience with this material, then maybe they need less slow-wave to adapt, to integrate, to assimilate the new information to the pre-existing knowledge schema in uh, their neocortex. So, um, of course, uh, on the one hand, when you go into really new information, like learning a new language, yeah, for me, is much more difficult than for a 20-year-old, yeah, because uh, my slow-wave sleep is less efficient in really integrating new, building up new schema in long-term memory. But I have, of course, some experience for example, with neuroscience, with uh, psychology. And when I uh, uh, have to learn to acquire new psychological data by reading uh, new papers, for example, then I have a lot of schema time, my yeah. uh, long-term memory, that makes it easy to adapt this new information. And for that, I don't need that much slow-wave sleep. But is there also less slow-wave sleep in Alzheimer patients, for example? There is. Uh, but not particular uh, uh, much. So, so the the in you can uh, actually relate it to to this to this schema. The the real the main deficit in Alzheimer's disease is in the hippocampus, yeah, and um, um, at least the primary deficit. And uh, I assume this has so far not been tested that 
uh, in Alzheimer's or the encoding uh, uh, period is compromised, that they don't uh, build up uh, really good representations in the hippocampus for newly encoded materials. And I assume also the reactivations are not really working well in the... This, I think this has been, uh, of in, in fact, tested in the rat model of, of uh, uh, dementia, uh, or aging at least, that in aged rats, the replay activity in the hippocampus which is necessary to trigger this uh, consolidation process, this dialogue between hippocampus and neocortex, mm -hmm. this is compromised in aged rats. They don't really show this sequential structure of replay, which you need, obviously, for the okay. consolidation. And the last question of this blog, uh, and that's from Hanneke Noordam. Uh, what does current research say about dream activity and memory retention of emotional events? Okay, this is really this is a, a long story, and I want to make Keep the answer short. short. <laughs> um, of course, is traditionally all people looked at REM sleep and dream sleep, yeah, and at the moment nobody really knows. Uh, what is REM sleep for? Yeah, uh, I think there's now consistent evidence in this field of research that REM sleep has something to do with the consolidation, with the, with the processing of emotional uh, memories. Yeah, this is for sure. Yeah, but how REM sleep relates to dreams? This is a completely different question. And my personal opinion is that dreams are actually a makeup of uh, the brain while it is awake. So you dream, what you think you dream is always a reported memory of you, of what you might consider as, has happened during the uh, sleep period before. But actually you have to admit that whenever you speak of dreams, you speak of them as a retrieved memory. Yeah, yeah. okay, that's clear. Let's move forward to the implication uh, section. Um, what does all this research now mean for daily practice? For daily practice, <laughs> yeah. You shouldn't ask me, actually, <laughs> because I'm already a basic researcher. And um, of course, um, uh, I can tell you the general implications of our, uh, of our research uh, for, for the general practice. I think the, the, the most important implication is that, uh, also for the general public, is of course that you should take seriously that uh, your sleep is not just an idle time of uh, recovering something. No, no, it's a, a, a time, it's a process that you can use uh, to enhance your cognitive capabilities, to enhance uh, uh, your capabilities to form memory, to enhance your capabilities to uh, 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 encode uh, new information. So I think the message <coughs> is clear. Uh, please don't think um, uh, of sleep as a, as a wasted time. No, it's good uh, to, to keep an eye on, on, on solid sleep. And uh, then, of course, uh, one, one, one could or uh, one should actually uh, use uh, 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 sleep also as, as, a, as a factor, for example, in educational uh, uh, settings. I, I, I don't know, but I, my impression is, for example, that in, in, in systems where, for example, in kindergarten, uh, the kids have to sleep. Yeah? This, on the long run, if you, if you look at uh, these kids for the whole development, they profit maybe from, uh, from these naps they take after a, a, a period of playing or primary education. And then they learn better and develop better than, than kids who do not need to sleep in the kindergarten. You say something very yeah. interesting. Uh, kids at uh, kindergarten have to sleep. Yes. In the Netherlands, it's not so. No, yeah, we have no, a kind in of in daycare, in and they don't have yeah. to sleep. But I think but in the Scandinavian, think it's the Scandinavian uh, uh, countries, uh, uh, at least uh, I've heard of it, uh, they have to. Or it used to be, for example, uh, in, in the eastern part of Germany, when there was mm -hmm. still eastern Germany, western Germany separated, the eastern part, the, in the kindergarten, there was a duty to yeah. sleep. Uh, and I think this might have a real benefit if sleep is integrated into an educational setting as a, as a factor that 
is also adding to your uh, cognitive capabilities. You can sleep, of course, also using the other way around to suppress unwanted uh, uh, memories. You, you should keep people from sleeping in. For example, after traumatic events uh, uh, that may induce some kind of uh, post-traumatic uh, 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 stress disorder, uh, of course, uh, the healthy brain will respond to such a traumatic event with kind of sleeplessness. Um, but I think it would be actually the wrong intervention here to put these people into sleep. No, it's good when they cannot sleep for a while just to avoid unwanted memory formation. Yeah? Um, and I, I know of some research approaches that go into uh, preventing post-traumatic stress syndrome by suppressing either completely sleep or some relevant neurophysiological, neurochemical processes in okay. this play. Okay. Yeah. And what do you think if people are suffering from sleep disorder? Should they take melatonin, for example? Or yeah, that's a, a very important question. We, we did some, some research uh, uh, regarding this question because we were interested in the neurochemical conditions. And uh, in this uh, uh, way, we also tested some of the more current um, sleeping pills. Um, uh, benzodiazepines, for example, they induce sleep, but not normal sleep. Yeah? And they don't promote slow-wave sleep, which is so important for memory formation. Uh, so we usually don't find, and I, I, I don't know of any, any positive result, uh, that shows that sleeping pills like benzodiazepines uh, also improve uh, the memory function of sleep. I would be very careful taking these types of pills. With melatonin, is a, it's a little different because it's not really a sleeping pill. But it has uh, primarily the function to synchronize uh, the, the sleep with the, um, with the circadian rhythm. And in conditions where, where, where you have a kind of desynchronization of both processes, the circadian rhythm and the sleep process, for example, after, after uh, a transatlantic flight, you suffer from jet lag, you can s speed accelerate the resynchronization of both processes um, uh, by taking melatonin. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Martin van Dijk is asking, uh, how do you think uh, does sleep influence school performance? Does it influence school it, performance? It does. It does. There is there are some epidemiological uh, data indicating that short sleepers perform less well than normal sleepers. Um, and um, uh, basically in two ways. One uh, is that uh, kids who are not really well rested and have insufficient sleep are uh, not that much able to concentrate on the material they learn during school. So the encoding yeah. function is compromised. And the other, I emphasize here in, in, in what I talked about, the consolidation uh, uh, function of sleep, which is also compromised because uh, uh, kids also, of course, need their sleep um, to uh, consolidate memories. Yeah. And, and what about things like concentration, speed of information processing, uh, attention. Yes, all this suffers. When, of course, uh, when you deprive the brain from sleep, yeah, it, it, then the, the, the first functions that degrade, that are impaired, are all the executive functions, which are functions the prefrontal by cortex. the prefrontal cortex. And this is uh, the first uh, thing what happens when you have insufficient uh, sleep is uh, the prefrontal cortex, executive and attention function, they uh, are really impaired. And the person usually starts, adult person start to go into more automatic processing. And when then something un un unexpected happens, they of course cannot react in an in a, uh, effective way. I'm laughing now, and that's because of one of the questions okay. uh, in the chat again. How do you explain that great people slept less? Uh, Newton remarked, for example, that he slept less than five hours a night. Leonardo da Vinci, two hours, and Edison less than five hours. Mm -hmm. But Einstein was uh, a long sleeper. <laughs> I don't know. 
<laughs> I personally see the reports, yeah, and I don't know at, at, at which point in time they gave these reports. Maybe they did it when they were really old. That's also what I, I'm not really old, but what I experienced <laughs> that I need less sleep. And um, of course, this is when, when I, we I, do I really have changing sleeping patterns over the years. Huh? We do change uh, uh, sleeping patterns. And it's, of course, it, the, the, the big revolutionary ideas uh, with which these people came up. Yeah? Uh, they have these ideas, these new theories. Uh, they developed them when they were younger. Yeah? And when they were, the sleep was, of course, much more effective, much more slowly sleep that yeah. was to, to, to generate these ideas. Yeah. Yeah? I think you need, uh, you need slow wave sleep for uh, generating, producing such great ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Noortje Musselaars is asking, despite uh, the fact that the brain is still developing during adolescence, so it probably needs a lot of sleep, melatonin levels start to decrease in this life stage, which results in later sleep onsets. What do you think of this contradiction? Now this is probably not a really a contradiction. As I said, the, 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 the melatonin is a, is a signal for the brain when to start uh, uh, to sleep. Yeah, it, 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 it's a face setting. It's not really influencing the sleep per se. Um, I, I, I cannot explain why during adolescence there's a kind of delayed face uh, uh, syndrome that, that uh, adolescent uh, people uh, tend to go to bed later and later and later. Uh, their need to sleep is not decreased as far as I know. Okay. Um, Hanneke Noordam is asking, what do you think of the organizations that have introduced a siesta during the office days? Uh, does it help people to function better? Of course, this is also, it's uh, um, on the one hand, I think the nap cannot replace the nocturnal sleep. Yeah? Um, and a polyphasic sleep pattern is less effective than this uh, one big period of nocturnal sleep we have in the, uh, at least in the northern countries of, uh, uh, of Europe. Um, on the other hand, you, as I said already, as I mentioned, uh, materials that are reactivated or retrieved or repeated shortly before the sleep period are more likely to enter sleep-dependent constellation than materials that are, um, are learned or taken up, let's say, in the morning before a nocturnal sleep period. So with a nap in routine, you, you get this information closer to a sleep period where it can be consolidated. This is the advantage of uh, uh, having a nap. So it's, I don't know, nap, of course, is not that deep as nocturnal sleep. Mm -hmm. Also, when you take a nap, your nocturnal sleep is not that uh, um, uh, prominent. Um, I, I think the better way to solve this problem is to, to, to learn something in the morning and repeat it in the, in the um, late afternoon. Uh, then you can use the, the great uh, capabilities of nocturnal sleep to increase memories. And I think ac actually this is important for elder people, of course, that you have a, a kind of uh, pronounced amplitude of your circadian rhythm. And this way you can, of course, also increase the amplitude, the depth of your nocturnal sleep. Yeah? Okay. I think it's an advice that you uh, uh, should give to elder people not uh, to nap too much during daytime because then they flatten their circadian rhythm and in this way they flatten also their nocturnal sleep. You know? yeah. Are you aware of any other in interventions that could help to sleep better? Of any I, I other interventions that could help to sleep better? And of course, physical activity, mental activity during the wake phase, or everything what increases its circadian amplitude also mental activity during wake phase, strong physical activity during the wake phase, increases also the depth of slow wave sleep during the succeeding uh, uh, rest phase. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't talk yet about uh, uh, the preference you have during the day, whether you are an early bird or a late owl. Does that play a role? 
I, I, I don't think so. What I, uh, all what I know about the circadian uh, system is that, uh, and, and the interaction between sleep and circadian rhythm is that, of course, you should keep your sleep period uh, synchronized in synchrony with the circadian phase. But uh, three hours, more or less, going back and forth is not too much a difference. Yeah. Okay. Uh, David Gast is asking, uh, Jan, you said that uh, sleep influenced by benzodiazepine lacks slow waves. Can benzodiazepines prevent post-traumatic stress disorder? I think there are some data that, that, that you can actually induce kind of amnestic effects uh, by benzodiazepines, yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I think this, at least you have an effect going in this direction, yeah? Yeah, okay. Um, sleep is also induced by the fact that you get less light through your eyes. Uh, what do you think? about the use of computers, watching television uh, late at night? Uh, should parents uh, forbid their children to watch television at night? At night. <laughs> of course, it's uh, important for, for uh, that when you want to go into sleep, yeah, uh, and this means uh, during late evening, you, sh you, sh you shouldn't activate yourself or you're going into very exciting um, uh, computer games or light stimuli, light stimuli per se are also not really uh, uh, priming the, uh, the sleep onset. Of course, the, the, the circadian system via melatonin is, of course, very much uh, triggered by light. And uh, of course, in this way, uh, you should avoid to, to have too much light in the evening hours. Uh, Geerte Kloek is asking, uh, children need more sleep than adults. Is this only the amount in hours or is the time they are going to bed also important? Again, it's, uh, uh, of course, generally it's not good to, to, to sleep uh, during the, the uh, daytime wake hour when you should uh, normally be awake. Yeah. But I think basically it doesn't matter too much uh, whether, uh, let's say, a, a seven-year-old uh, goes to bed at seven o'clock in the evening or at nine o'clock in the evening. This is uh, uh, not really uh, so much a difference as long as the total sleep duration is not cut, because our kids have to get up very early to go to school, and one could. In, in this regard, actually think of having a little bit uh, delayed sleep, uh, not sleep, school onset. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, the next question is really a very funny question, especially we are because we are busy with a digital brain school, brain lifestyle and learning, and it also relates to the topic nutrition. Um, and Hanneke is saying, uh, when I have had insufficient sleep, I'm hungry, hungrier the next day and eat more. What is the underlying yes. mechanism? Does your brain, brain need more energy? Does your body, or, uh, or does your body, or maybe both? This is a very important question, and nobody really knows uh, why uh, uh, this happens. In fact, it is true that when it is, has been tested and shown in rats and also in humans, when you deprive or restrict people from sleep, then they increase their food intake. Okay, now you could argue when they awake, the brain needs more energy, so that's why they in increase their food intake. But it has shown in um, uh, it has been shown in these studies also that the increase in food take is not just compensating for the increased energy demands by the brain during wakefulness, but is even higher. So this is why, and this is also shown by many, uh, now by many epidemiological studies, that reducing sleep automatically leads to a gain of body weight on the long run. So you should, um, for keeping your weight, you should pay attention that you have enough sleep. Okay. 
Ellen Steenvoren is reminding me of a very nice uh, Dutch statement and uh, or Dutch quote, and that says, uh, "The hours before midnight count double." Ja. How do you think about that with um, no, no, respect to uh, memory formation? No, of course, it's uh, clear. You should hear several questions were with regard to to melatonin, yeah, and to light stimuli. Of course, you should sleep during the night phase when it's dark yeah but as i said when it's not uh, so much important whether you start sleeping at nine o'clock or at eleven o'clock uh, because as long as it is embedded in your personal circadian rhythm uh, kind of habitual rhythm sleep is good yeah and it doesn't matter if it's the one hour before midnight or one hour after midnight yeah okay. Well, I think that's a very nice message to take uh, <laughs> home. We all need a good night uh, sleep. Uh, sleep. Jan, thank you very much for thank this uh, inspiring uh, live session and sharing all your knowledge uh, with us. Um, for the people at uh, home, uh, this topic within the Digital Spring School hasn't uh, finished yet. We continue now on our uh, webpage with learning activities. I seriously do hope that you also will make those uh, learning assignments and uh, stimulate uh, the discussion uh, again. I think uh, today's uh, interview was already a nice uh, base uh, for this. And we continue next week with uh, two paper presentations of uh, Ed de Bruin and Sarah Pluckhardt. So I hope you to see you all again next week, same time, same place. Thank you. <laughs>